Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 254, I've Been in the Most Desperate Need of You. This week, we're discussing episode four of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, All the Mirrors of the World, and season five, episode 12 of Angel, You're Welcome. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. All the mirrors of the world. Um, yeah. Which we learn is, are all, they're all entryways into the King's Road, apparently. Or at least the mirrors of England are. Like, there's a line in there somewhere where he says, like, something about, like, the, the land hiding behind all the mirrors of England or something mm, like that. Right. Um, that's not an exact quote. But, sure. Um, I guess, so presumably, is this, um, you know, older magic from before the dawn of time kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Like, like it's not just the mirrors of England, it's like all the mirrors of the world? It could be. Um, yeah, I mean, they're kind of assuming that it's a uniquely English thing, but we don't think, I don't think we have hard evidence to say that other mirrors couldn't lead to these places. Um, sure. And, well, I'm wondering, I mean, um, just from kind of like a literary point of view, mirrors are definitely common portals, you know, to kind of yep. fantasy realms in, in certainly in English kind of literature and folklore. I'm, I'm wondering if that's, you'd have to do some sort of, you know, research and statistical analysis to see like, is the, the, is that less common outside of English stories? Mm-hmm. You know, is that like maybe not a uniquely English thing, but a predominantly English thing? Um, I don't know off the top of my head, like how much there's a connection between mirrors and sort of other worlds in other kind of fairy tale literature of the world. Mm-hmm. I know that um, this doesn't answer that question, but I know that like um, James Branch Cabell had a um, uh, a story I believe called "The Mirror and the Pigeons" that mm. was like had something to do with that kind of idea of um, I I've not read it, so like I'm gonna get it wrong if I try to describe it. But yes, that the mirrors you were looking into. And, I don't know where the pigeon come into play, but um, anyway, yeah. Presumably, uh, that, they have pigeons and fairy but, other worlds. But it very much was drawing, at least, on that idea of the um, mirrors being sort of an entryway into another realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I know we weren't going to start off talking about the nature of magic, but uh, that does bring up, because, like, there's a specifically English magic, right? Like, that's that's one of the things that I think um, Corey talks quite a bit about in his um, Mythgard, you know, Academy discussion of the book version, although he mm-hmm. does talk about the um, series as well. Mm-hmm. Um 
like the Englishness of the magic, right? It's not just magic that we're concerned with here. It's very Englishness. And that comes up a bit here in this episode too. Like even um, you get the two men at the Bedford uh, while Strange and is that, it was it, um, who's he playing with? Is it Walter Pohl that he's playing billiards with? No, no it's, it's um, I think his name is Grant. He's one of okay. Wellington's sort of top sort of lieutenants right. or whatever. So I, yeah, all these like English lords and generals and stuff like they I all guess start to look alike. They do kind of blend together, especially when you're like not paying, like because you're paying more attention to strains than like anyone else mm-hmm. really in the scene. So it's like I can't. I was trying to like picture who it was, but um, right. So anyway, so like the two men, you know, two gentlemen who come in, and like one of them is presumably a student of Strange's, but he's never like a correspondence student of. Uh, strange there right right um and uh and he quotes something about um you know a letter that he had written to him like asking him about um changing the weather or something and and strange says the response that was supposedly sent to him was you know that you can't change the weather because it changes england and Mm. you know like the very fabric of what like england is so there's this there's this idea which Strange did say, but as he notes there, he's like, I did say that, but not to these gentlemen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, um, which apparently doesn't clarify for him, like, who might be at the heart of this. Because that's like the second, I, I know, I'm jumping all around. Anyway. All of- no, I think, it, I think it does. Because it's after that that he goes and follows the King's Roads to draw light. I think that's the, that's the clue that. It's because he's heard about one or two of these students before. And I think it's hearing that line that clicks in his head that he knows who's spreading this and these stories around. I can see that. I I didn't pick up on that. There was a direct connection there. I thought he was just following. I just thought he was following through like the magic like like he was just going where the magic led him kind of thing i didn't necessarily put together that he was specifically looking for draw light Um, right right yeah but i can see kind of being led by the magic he doesn't necessarily know his way but i think he knows he knows the magic might be which he he's looking for draw light and he's sort of able to find him through the mirrors which makes sense because there is that idea of like you need an anchor right because otherwise, mm-hmm. like, it, the magic might just take you to any random spot. Right. right. He could just like be he, wandering forever. Yeah. But if he has draw light specifically in, in mind, then he would take it. Right. Anyway, that's beyond what I was trying to get at. What my point was there was that you have these different sort of types of magic that they're dealing with. So there's, like, there's English magic, right, which is sort of embodied by... Um, the shape and character and you know whatever of like England as like the land but probably cultural as well like Mm -hmm. there's a there's a cultural aspect to English magic um which is probably kind of the respectable part right so I guess there's unrespectable English magic Mm -hmm. uh as well as respectable or at least english magic is such that it can be made respectable at least according to nora mm-hmm. no, there's nora light 
yeah. Well, there's Norolite magic, which is like a subset of English magic, which is the respectable. It's like the respectable branch of English magic or what he would call it. Um, But then there there's like this older magic, apparently, which is sort of associated with the Raven King, though. I don't know that it's necessarily equivalent to the Raven King's magic. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if like, like maybe the Raven King's magic is like one type of older magic and there are other older magics because you get like um, strange saying like, well, you know, when, when I was on the peninsula, um, as he apparently says quite a bit, uh, (laughs) you know, that he, you, he, like he confesses right his his big confession to Norrell, well you know i'm not proud of it but when i was on the peninsula i did some magic that you might not deem respectable uh but the respectability of it or the dis dis disrep, disreputableness of it um appears to be because it was older like it wasn't like modern english magic hmm. it was older magic and it's not clear if it was altogether English, <laughs> like mm-hmm. whether it was like, was it just, was it like expatriate magic? Like, you know, it's English, but it's on the continent. So, sure. you know, it's, it's still English magic because it's an Englishman doing it. Or was it like some totally different, you know, continental or peninsular magic, right. Right. Uh, you know, that's being done. Um, and it's, so my, my point in all this and, and, going back to the King's road um, and the title of all the mirrors in the world of the world is that if the King's road actually does connect all the mirrors of the world, then it's not English magic. Right. Particularly it's, it's broader than that. Um, Right. But strange seems to think that it's behind the mirrors of England specifically at least in that one particular quote. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I mean, maybe Strange just doesn't know how interwoven it is. So, you know, maybe he's just making assumptions there. Um, I mean, it's not incorrect to say that it's behind all the mirrors of England if it's also behind all the mirrors in the world, right? right? It's like that thing of like, you know, all squares are rectangles. Like, right. you know, right. it, it's still accurate to say it's behind all the mirrors of England, even if it's, in fact, behind all every mirror, no matter where it is. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's a couple things in there. Um, what I think that's a good distinction because they're not quite the same thing to say. If we're talking about non-English magic, we could be talking about magic that's from other countries, like from the continent, or you know, other non like a different cultural tradition of magic which might be slightly different based on the the land and the language and all the sort of customs of those other peoples. But then I think the other implication, as you're saying, is that there's non-English magic, which is a non-human magic, like non-worldly magic, whether sure. it's kind of, which I feel like is gets at some of the, the disreputableness and the wildness of some of them, because the main kind of examples I think we've seen of that are the resurrection, the kind of raising of the dead scenes, which involve like, you know, fairies on the one hand, or kind of the associations of hell when, you know, 
when Strange does it. Like, he doesn't invoke a fairy, but there is this suggestion that he is, like, calling spirits out of mm -hmm. the sort of underworld. So neither of those things are English. And again, they're not only not English, they're not even human. Um, right. And, and so the, there's like various levels of non-English disrespectability. Um, and then, okay, so another thing I wanted to bring up, which I feel like we haven't quite got a lot of in the series so far. I forget to what extent the TV show ever really gets into this. We'll have to keep an eye on it. But um, the in the respectability versus wildness debate, the kind of north-south divide, um, I feel like is pretty important, which is sort of ironic given that Norrell comes from the north and mm. Strange seeming seems to come from further south, but they're kind of... Right, he like he grew up in London, it's sort of implied, right? Right, like, like, yeah, like kind back... of... Right. Yeah. Right, yeah, like kind of the, the countryside around the London sort of region. So... Well, but like even... Because the house that they're in, like there's a portrait of his mother when they first come in, right? So isn't that presumably right. like right. his family's yeah. house? Yes, right. I mean, they might have right. had their country manor as well, but like... Yeah. The yeah. implication right. is that he's coming back to someplace that's familiar and homey. Yeah. Yes, they're Southerners. And so it's funny that they kind of gravitate naturally towards you know, the Raven King and the wildness of his magic is sort of not exclusively identified, but sort of you get the idea that it's more strongly associated with the kind of wildness of the North. Um, whereas what Norrell establishes is sort of civilized, gentlemanly, political, Norrellite magic becomes the magic of like, the city and parliament and the government and everything sort of kind of categorized and, you know, respectable and all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So there's a funny kind of divide there that Norrell and Strange are kind of not necessarily on the sides that you might expect them to be given where they come from. Sure. Um, and I feel like we get a little bit more of that in this one with some of these scenes that take place like out, in the countryside we you know i feel like in the last couple episodes it's been more in like the drawing rooms of these london houses and everything um whereas like here it kind of starts with children mass has this vision of the kind of you know this desolate sort of landscape and then you get further scenes with stephen and the gentleman and all those sorts of people like kind of wandering the moors, um, like very un-London like. Uh, so even if they don't like speak of it as like, ah, oh, the Raven King is from the north, you still get some of that in like the way that where the scenes are set and the sort of landscape that surrounds them. Right. Um, and there's that little diatribe that Norrell, Norrell, Norrell goes on, um, wherein he, you know, he says, we cannot have fairy princes ruling England alongside generals, dukes, and mill owners, um, which makes me think of, you know, Ted Sandyman, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Right, like the, the respectable, you know, sort of industrialist uh, <laughs> right. 
Um, I, I guess uh, this is a l- like a slightly pre-industrialist here, sure. right? We're talking about like right early industrial revolution. Yeah, kind like, of. we're heading that direction. Not, not yeah. quite there yet, but but moving along. Um, yeah. Such magic belongs to an England that is dead, which is interesting. So, is it English magic? Like it's very magic, still English magic. It's just that right. It's, it's an older, older dead yeah. English magic. Right. Um, and then he says, and it is out of our control. So like, oh, well, that's that's another, a, a different, you know, sort of criterion there. Like, right, right. Is, is it that it's old or argument. that you can't control it? Like, which right. is it actually there? Um, right. And is it dead or is it just that you're scared of it and, you know, don't right. know how to channel it and harness it? Well, and so the knowledge is another aspect, right? Because because uh, previously, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I, I've been studying magic for 40 years. We dare not meddle, you know, with half understood magic kind of thing. And and Strange is like, well, it's precisely because we only half understand it that we should be like studying and playing with it and stuff. Um, you know, if there exists a magic beyond the magic that we do. And then Nora's like, well, then we let it alone. <laughs> like, we must say that modern magic is the only way, or we will end up beggars in yellow curtain tents. Like, that escalated quickly, right? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. either it's either modern magic or we're beggars in yellow curtain tents, um, which, like, okay, like, why that color, I guess? Um, well, and, and, and the it escalated quickly from this magic is dead and gone and doesn't exist anymore to it has the power to ruin our lives. And if we so much as fiddle with it, we're going to be completely destroyed by it. Um, So it doesn't sound very dead to me. Um, Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of power there actually. Sure. Um, So, yeah. So I didn't necessarily mean to do that, but like we haven't really talked about the nature of magic or at least not in a couple episodes. So just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of stop there because it, it triggered that idea of the, you know, the maybe different types of magic. Um, mm-hmm. Although like, I'm, I'm not totally convinced there actually are different types of magic. It's, it's like that thing of like, you know, is there really different types of magic or is it just that, these are sort of how magic has been classified by people. But, you know, if you truly understood it, you would realize like there isn't actually any difference in these quote unquote types or genres of magic. But well, that's where, that's where the parallel to the sort of the sciences lies in that, like, you know, the laws of physics are what they are now our knowledge of the laws of physics certainly has changed and evolved over time. And, and for the things that we don't yet understand, there might be competing theories as to how and why things work the way they do. But your beliefs about the laws of physics don't really mean that there are different laws. Um, it's, it's just kind of different ways of understanding these things that, we don't inherently understand without a lot of careful study and experimentation and everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so there, there are differences is not let's do different kinds of magic. It's sort of theories about how to approach the magic that they do. 
Okay. So. So where do you with want to that, start? With that 20 minutes eaten up, um, <laughs> we wonder why we go wrong. Um, I'd like to start with Lady Pole. And I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on her. Mm-hmm. Although I say that. And Stop then we it. always... Um, uh so obviously so obviously we're starting like right off from the last episode right um mm-hmm. she just shot children ass and gets like carried inside by stern englishmen um and sort of held down and sedated mm-hmm. um right is they give her something right or am I misremembering? Yeah, like chloroform or something. Yeah, okay. Something to knock her out. Um, and then Childermass. So they give her the chloroform, but poor Childermass has, has to have, like, surgery on his shoulder, like, while he's screaming and, you know, still awake. Um, it seems like, I mean, arguments for whether or not they should have, you know, drug Lady Pole aside... Mm-hmm. They certainly should have knocked Childermass out, right? Sure. Like, like it would have been if, if not for like uh, humanitarian reasons, at least to you know stop him from moving around while you're trying right, to right. dig out the bullet from his shoulder. Right, could have given him a little something. Yeah. <laughs> right, just, just a little, just a little nip on the laughing gas. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, she she gets knocked. I mean, he passes out after the bullet is extracted and whatever. Anyway, and is apparently asleep for several days. Um, right. Lady, lady so Pole kind of snippily <laughs> yeah. informs yeah. him. I, I was in desperate need of you. Uh, you've been asleep for several, four days or whatever it is. Um, yeah, and and like and then sort of like. I can't quite get a read on Children Mass here. And like I mean I I mean like it's hard not to like pull in what you know from the books, obviously. Sure, sure, sure. Um but like he's obviously dedicated to Nora mm-hmm. in some respects, but clearly like maybe not a hundred percent or like he's right. like dedicated to Noro, but like Certainly there's a limit. It's like trust but verify. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there there's certainly some aspects of Norrell which Children Mass seems not necessarily to like fully trust or comply with or whatever you want to call it. Um and so you get that like sort of little like moment of sarcasm of like, you know, oh, you know, um, uh, I've been in the most desperate need of you, but you've been useless. You've been asleep for days. Uh, forgive me. I'm awake now. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you right. know, like. Yeah, the devil of I'm how, awake now. Yeah, yeah. how earnest yeah. are you being in this particular moment? Well, and there's more into that I'm awake than just like I woke up from my kind of bullet induced sure. coma. There's also he's, my eyes are open now. He's and, woke. He's woke to Norrell's sort of problematic aspects, I yeah. think. Like, sure. now, that he doesn't lead him to, like, curse him and, and quit. Like, he, you know, at least by all appearances, is sort of resuming his duties and everything. But 
when he says, like, I'm awake now, you may allow me to take care of Lady Pole. And then he goes to her sort of private house and was looking to talk to her and saying things like, I don't know what Norrell's done. He won't tell me. You kind of get the idea, like, the implication to Norrell is, let me deal with Lady Pole. I'll kind of get revenge on her. But I think what he really kind of is looking for is answers about Norrell. Sure. Like, what are the things... Like, he is skeptical about Norrell, not enough to kind of break ties with him, but enough to start investigating exactly what he's done and what he's sort of so concerned about that might tarnish his reputation. Yeah. Right. And... Yeah, so the... Um, yeah, the, so... So, okay, so he takes... Lady Pole to Segundus and uh, he, he's he's like delivered rather quickly on his promise because uh, <laughs> yeah. what what does he say like if I, if I find you know a lady who's in need of your services I'll you know send right. her your way and right. here like I mean I guess there's like it's been a couple of months later like or sure. or so like probably more than that because like I don't know how long the Napoleonic Wars was, but like how long was Strange meant to have been away, right? Like it wasn't a short period of time, presumably. Mm -hmm. Like there's some time passing, although it's not entirely clear how much um, yeah. from within the story narrative. It, it all seems a little compressed. Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is that it's some time later. But <laughs> certainly when you're watching it, it seems like, it's like, hey, I'm back. And I didn't <laughs> got really... A, got a lady for you. Yeah. I didn't really think about this um, the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it through, it was like, oh, wow. Like, like how how much adjusting does, uh, you know, early 19th century school for magicians take to turn it into a sanitarium? Um, like, like apparently it's, there's like, they didn't have to do much remodeling and redecoration mm -hmm. to, uh, go from one to the next, which probably tells you more about the schools of, you know, England than it does about this insane asylums. Sure. <laughs> um, although I guess it's, it's nice that they didn't send her to Bedlam. Um, that's. Yeah. All things considered, that's probably. <laughs> Worked out all right for Lady Pole. Yeah, um, the um, well, you know, the rich get the nice madhouse. Um, yeah, yeah, and also, so not much training uh, of the professionals either, because um, these would-be uh, magic teachers are like suddenly, uh, you know, psychiatrists, um, which also feels a lot like the sort of malleable nature of uh natural philosophy <laughs> sure. in, in that time period maybe like it's whatever we define it are, are you a doctor well you know not so much um yeah. not in the fullest sense of the word so it just reminds so i just um he's like i I'm, I'm wearing a white coat so you know what else can you there's a you know, what else do you need there's a new um series on netflix called the good cop um, which mm -hmm. co-stars uh, Tony Danza, of all mm -hmm. people. Um, he's actually pretty good in it. Um, but the show itself isn't great. But there's a recurring uh, joke where he um, 
so he so in the in this series Tony Danza plays this older ex-cop who had been in prison uh for various corruption type things and his son is now a cop so it's whatever but his son is like dead set on not being like his dad so he's like the most stickler you know for rules and that kind of thing and so of course it plays off that kind of thing um but tony danza keeps showing up and calling himself an adjunct cop <laughs> like he's like uh, yeah i'm not a cop i'm an adjunct cop and whatever so this is kind of what it, it, it reminded me it's like i'm not a doctor i'm an adjunct doctor <laughs> like <laughs> anyway there that's that's what it reminded me just because i happened to watch that like this past week but anyway sure um so the uh yeah so so apparently it doesn't take uh much specialized training at least to run a madhouse in England uh at this period of time. Um you no. can just sort of declare yourself um you know damn any licensing laws that might yeah. exist or whatever. Um Well they, I guess because it's a sort of private transaction like you know, because it's sort of arranged by Childermas and, and, you know, Sir Walter Pohl or whatever. Like, they can pay whoever they want, I suppose, to. To just take care of. To just take care yeah. of her privately. Well, and I mean, I not that there's a ton of regulation even in yeah. actual or, insane asylums, but. Or even, it. I mean, forget regulation, like, also, like, just. Or oversight of, or training um, or whatever, yeah. Well, I'm just even thinking, like, you know, like, professional standards at that point. Like, right. like I, I don't think it's a very well-developed field of study at that point, perhaps. Um, at least certainly not to the... Like, today, you might have, like, the APA that has its, you know, like, you know, code of conduct and, you know, guidelines for, you know, its members and that kind of thing. But, you know. Right. I mean, think of mid 20th century things even like 150 yeah. years later there still isn't a lot of standards right. it's only like very recently that we've got out of the whole cuckoo's nest sort of phase so right it wasn't that long ago that we were like sending high voltage shocks right. of electricity through people's brains i mean i suppose right, right. it's still used in limited forms today even but um so yeah so like all that to say that you know yeah, you don't need a degree or, you know, license or <laughs> anything no. like that to open such a place, no. apparently. No, um, just a white coat. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. yeah. So, I, and I guess, like, I want to mention her kind of panic when she realizes they're magicians. Like, like n not only are they not trained psychiatric doctors, they're magicians. Like, you, you know, this is the, like... Not that she wants to be sent away to live in isolation, but at least it gets her away from the evil Mr. Norrell and all his sort of right. wicked magic. And then, like, you know, crap, she's been delivered into the hands of two more magicians, you know, until eventually, like, I think she gets a sense of their superior character to what she's seen yeah, well, before. Cause... And, and Segundus is, like he starts to pick up on, you know, the magic that kind of surrounds her and everything. So in the end, it might actually end up being the best thing for her because she has people who are kind of actually 
sensitive to what's happening and care that she's doing well, which is sort of better than what she's had previously. Yeah. So a couple of things. So one, I don't think she, cause they put her in, in the cab, right. Uh, for the ride up to, What's the name of this place? Uh, wherever Segundus uh, and whatever. Staircross. Yeah. Staircross Hall or something. Um, so they they put her in, and then there's that, you know, like, Children Mask comes out and kind of shakes uh, Walter's hand or whatever, right? Like, and, and so, like, we know that this is, like, Children Mask setting this up, but I'm not, I'm not sure if she knows that at that point. Sure, sure. Like, it... it it's possible she does, but it's also possible, like, I could see her being ignorant of the fact, it, it, you know, for her, it just might be like, okay, we're sending you out to the country, and they arrive at this place, and it's these guys, and she somehow knows that they're magicians, and they don't really deny it, um, mm-hmm. although Honeyfoot does say, I think it's him, or is it Sugundas, who says, you know, oh, we're no friends of Norrell, right? Right, like, right. Um, but she doesn't really believe them until she sees Childer Mass and seems surprised to see him. And that's why I think she doesn't know that it's Childer Mass who sent her there. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, because like when she's in the cab, she's kind of docile. Right. Like she does, it, she doesn't seem that upset or concerned about just kind of leaving London and going away. Yeah. Um, I mean, she could also be drugged, I guess, but we don't have evidence of that necessarily either. Um, so it's not until she sees Children Mass and kind of freaks out, right? Stephen, do you have a gun? You know, like, go get your gun. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen, get your gun. Like Annie. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, seeing Segundus sort of stand up to Children Mass and then Honeyfoot come out with the blunderbuss, um, I think is what puts her at ease too. Like that's all part of it of, yeah. you know, watching sort of through the window that like, and that it's not just a show, right? Like there's a, there like, cause she also like overhears them afterwards of like Honeyfoot being like, Oh, I'm glad that worked. Cause I only have walnuts in here. Like yeah. it probably wouldn't have actually hurt him that much um, to shoot right. him with the walnuts. Um, yeah. So just that, that, like sort of seeing that and then there's sort of a mutual uh recognition i guess like cuz they take her you know handcuffs off or whatever you know mm-hmm. whatever it is that's tying her down and um she seems content to be there at that point like maybe this is the best place for me mm-hmm. like like you were saying before mm-hmm. um so yeah, I mean it, but it is it is kind of interesting because it is a slow reveal, and I don't know if it's I don't know like do you think that Segundus just doesn't notice it right away because it it seems like they're there for a few days or I mean they're there for a little while because like Childermas doesn't come out for like immediately right like mm-hmm. there's a little time between when they get there and when Childermas. Mm-hmm comes and like steven's apparently there for a little bit i guess to help 
her settle in or something, maybe? Mm -hmm. Um, So do you think Segundus notices the the rose at their mouth kind of thing right away? Or do you think it's that he's just not fully in tuned or fully sensitive and maybe it takes him a little while to kind of see that? I don't know. I mean, I could see... I could see Segundus being discreet enough to to notice but not say anything right away and to kind of observe. And then when he's gotten to know them a little bit more, feel comfortable asking Stephen what the heck is going on. But at the same time, while I find that plausible, my sense just from the way it's sort of done is that he... I don't get the sense that he notices like right away. Like there's no indication from what I can tell in the way it's like portrayed by the actor that like he doesn't seem to have the children mass experience of, whoa, I just got knocked over by this wave of powerful magic and I'm trying to figure out what that is. It seems like what's the goodness, it's a more gradual realization that like in spending a lot of time with them he started to notice something and felt like before steven leaves i should ask him what what's going on with that yeah so i don't know if that's because the magic has subsided a little bit or does that mean that segundus is less sensitive than chiller masses i'm not quite sure well right and i think that's the problem is that there is there's either an inconsistency or or if it's consistent we just can't see what the the what the variables are that that might cause it to fluctuate because when strange when he walks in on strange you know doing his incantation he does have the children mass experience of sort of being knocked knocked over over. and getting pulled into the dream right you know with uh right yeah, with um, Strange there. So, may, may, yeah, like, because like, Lady Pole doesn't seem to know that she's, like, exuding magic in any way, right? Like, mm-hmm. and maybe there's a... And Children Mass has been around her at other times. I think, like, I mean, I guess maybe we'd have to go back and look, but... There's the, no, there's the time when he, well, but he goes in to steal the tapestry. Right. So she's like in the house, but he hasn't. But he kind of has a, an experience there. So. Right. Like, it, he so the question Norrell, is, is it her or is it the tapestry? And maybe right. he thinks it's the tapestry, but maybe it's really like residual effect of her or something. Sure. You know? So there's, there's potential there. Or yeah. there's some ambiguity in, in his reaction as well. Right, because right. Right, the only thing I can remember is that he does ask Norrell, who was that lady that shot me? Because she was, like, crazy magical. And so he yeah. doesn't know her by sight. Like, he's never met her in person. So I think he's been, like, maybe in the house stealing the tapestry was the closest he ever really got to her. And... Maybe yeah. that was enough with the tapestry to, to just feel like he could sense sort of something. 
Um, yeah, maybe. I I guess I took that to be that. I, I, I was taking that. And I mean, I, I could have read it wrong. So maybe that, you know, that's just what it is. But um, I was taking his sort of comments there that he, you know, when he, when he was asking, like, who, who was it? I didn't take that as that he didn't recognize Lady Pole. I mean, he didn't recognize her, but I didn't take that so much as he didn't recognize her because he didn't know who she was, but rather because, like, the effects of the magic were sort of so strong that mm-hmm. he was just sort of confused and dazed. and Because he's running around, like, looking through this, like, colored glass of light. Like, so I just took that as, like, he knew it was a lady, but maybe didn't really see who it was or whatever. Sure. I mean, um, I guess it's just that, like, she's been in... She's been isolated ever since Norrell brought her back. So there's lots of people, I think, that have heard of her that don't even know what she looks like. She hasn't been outside in however, whatever, like a year or something, you know, however long it's been. So I don't know. Like, I guess, yeah, you could interpret it a few different ways. But I think you're right that it's, there's enough difference between that and this situation with Segundus that it's a little hard to tell why exactly he's not quite a sensing it to quite the same degree. Um, right. And it could just be that it's subsided somewhat, like maybe in that particular moment, she was exuding something right. that has sort of calmed a bit. And so he doesn't get quite as bowled over as he would have otherwise. And, and and that's actually kind of the direction I was going, and then I got kind of sidetracked, is maybe, um, yeah, maybe it has something to do with, like, her depth of emotion at the time, or, you know, like, some kind of, like, something, you know, triggered by, triggered, by how she's feeling, mm-hmm. rather than, like, a constant, you know, presence, and so, like, yeah, if she's sedated and calm, then maybe it's not detectable or, or it's not as prevalent as, you mm-hmm. know, if she's really upset and, you know, focused or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. Obviously, we don't have answers to all that because it's just sort of there. But mm-hmm. Anyway. Anything else with Lady Pole? Um, I mean, she's there, like, she does see the confrontation between Children Mass and Sigundus and Honeyfoot. Um, and then no, she I kind think... of accepts her being, you know, being there, at least for the time being, of, you know, okay, these really aren't Norrell's men, and I can sort of trust them. Yeah. No, I think we leave her in a more comfortable place than we've had probably the entire series so far. So right. um, yeah, that seems about as content as she's been. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although still acknowledging that, you know, she goes to lost hope every night and sees. Yeah. Steven there, right? It's like, certainly not ideal, um, but it's a little less cruel than what she, she at least she's now kind of with, people who maybe have a better sense of what she's going through and are actually like, you know, trying to help 
fix her situation. Um, right. So speaking of Stephen, uh, he has a few encounters with the gentleman again. Um, so uh, the first one is, uh, well, I think it's the first one, right? So we don't really see him much until he's like driving the carriage and, and then like get stopped. Well, they stop when they see an old man in the road and he doesn't, it it doesn't seem that he recognizes him because you would think that he would call him king or something mm -hmm. um, if he did. Uh, and then, like, suddenly there's, like, a sword in his hand and he's rushing towards the king, like, ready to impale yeah. him kind of thing. Um, and then the king right. disappears again before that can happen. So, um, obviously we know that, like, Strange does some magic. I mean, we don't see the gentleman, but he's sort of pulling strings unseen uh, and talking to the king and gets him to step through. And so, uh, you know, I mean, he, he steps into the mirror, it looks like, and we can presume from what we know later uh, with Strange going through the mirrors is that the gentleman takes him on the king's road. Mm -hmm. But drops him in the middle of nowhere so there, like mm -hmm. there's not a mirror around which is interesting right. like so there's some other magic going on or or maybe there's ways to get off the king's road without going through mirrors and strange just doesn't know them yet um right the gentleman's manipulating things at a whole other level than right than even strange is sort of capable of yet um, like, presumably Strange needs a mirror to get back out of the King's Roads, whereas the gentleman can kind of just manipulate reality entirely. Yeah, yeah he can just go in and out wherever he wants. Um, <clears throat> and there's got to be some sort of parallel, too, between the King's Roads, as in the Raven King, like the, the Roads of Fairy, and the King's Roads of England, right? Like, we're just going to drop the King onto the highway, you know, on the way to wherever they're going. Like, right. Maybe there's some sort of affinity between the two that connects them. Um, I'm completely speculating. They don't say that, but I don't know. The King's Roads is sort of a conspicuous name, I think, when you're dealing with the Mad King George and he sort of appears in the middle of the road, sort of waiting for Stephen to run him over. Right. <clears throat> um, so from Stephen's perspective, obviously very disturbing. Um, <clears throat> just to kind see of, someone yeah. appear and then find yourself, you know, about to run him through with a sword. And then he disappears. And, like, he doesn't even know who he is until the gentleman tells him that it was the king. Um, and, like, I like how Stephen, like, goes into, like, the legal, the legalities right. of succession and like the problems of like whatever. And the gentleman's just like, nah, they're all fat and stupid. Like, you know. Why would you want them as your king? Yeah, yeah. like, you don't need to worry about that. Yeah, and I love the, the gentleman's kind of anarchic idea of like, well, clearly the king is whoever killed the previous king. Like, this sort of wild animal 
version of like succession. Medieval, like, yeah. Yeah, like if you behead the king, then you'll become king. So here, here's a sword and go and do it. Um, and that's like the implication is like, that's how we do it. Isn't that how you do it? Um, like it's a very kind of survival of the fittest notion of kinghood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then as uh, so then Stephen continues on his way to take Lady Pole to her new home and then as he's leaving you know to go back to London or whatever um, he meets the gentleman again. Um, oh sorry so actually there's a conversation that happens after the whole incident with the king between the gentleman and Stephen and ba- and so the gentleman goes you know all our wonder all our wonderful plans have been rudely overturned um, which of course like Stephen has no part in any of these mm-hmm. plans like Stephen doesn't even really know the plan, let alone have a part in, you know, right. creating them or anything. Um, and, uh, you know, and and then that's where, he, you know, kind of reveals who the old old man was. Um, but then there's also sort of a declaration, right? Like, oh, it's that, that magician, you know, the stupid magician has, you know, interfered with our plans again and sort of uh sets this oath to uh you know destroy the you know uh destroy him um and there's also that thing so it's like the ghostbusters thing right of like you know whatever you think first will be the destruction you know that gets Mm -hmm. and he he gives him a Oh, oh, Stephen, you are brilliant. Oh, you're like, so brilliant. Yeah. Like, wait, what? What? <laughs> Why am I brilliant? What did I right, think? He projects his own um, idea onto Stephen. Like, oh, you're such a brilliant. You came up with the perfect yeah. plan. Of, of course, it will be very hard to find, but it will destroy him utterly. Um, and uh, so then they sets off on a journey. So presumably, the gentleman is off looking for this moss oak, while Stephen's like you know, attending to Lady Pole and whatnot. Um, and then he comes and gets it. He's like, oh, I found it, but I need you to, like, do stuff mm-hmm. to get it. Um, I know we weren't going to talk about the Maso. Till the end, I mean, but, we can talk about it here. If we um, yeah, so long story short, you know, for a thousand years it has been waiting to learn what form it will take. Oh, look, it just happens to look exactly like Arabella. Mm-hmm. Um which he, you know, the uh, gentleman presumably uh, created or or caused it to look that way uh, by using the tears from her handkerchief that he stole. Right. Um, it is, I mean, obviously it's not Arabella. It's like this golem type thing um, <laughs> that like makes a weird noise. Uh, when it first sort of wakes up and tries to talk. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, so we don't know what's going to, ha- I mean, we can guess what's going to happen. There will be hijinks of misidentity and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the the idea here is to get um, Jonathan Strange to somehow 
condemn his wife to lost hope um, right. without even like knowing that that's what he's done. Um, right. Because again, as we've kind of seen a couple times, sort of like with the vampire lore, you have to make an agreement of some kind. It can't just be a completely, you know, forced thing. You have to, even if you don't understand what you're agreeing to, you have to make some sort of bargain. So yeah, so there's going to be some trickery to get strange to give up his wife. Yeah. Um, cool. All right, so at 52 minutes and change, we should start talking about the main plot of the episode uh, between Strange and Norrell. Um, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't anything else to say. We, I feel like we started to get into some of it just with the debate about different kinds of approaches to English magic and the sort of... this civilization versus wildness divide is kind of at the root of all of their disagreements. Um, sure. You know, I mean, it's complicated by the fact that, yes, I think Norrell does believe what he's saying about respectability and everything, but also you know that he, part of it is to preserve his reputation. Like, it's not that he's completely unwilling to do crazy magic because we've seen him do it. It's like he might prefer not to do crazy, wild, experimental magic, but it's also that he doesn't want people to know about what he's done. So like, there's, there is a divide in the debate, but Norrell has, like Jonathan's side is a very pure... Like, he believes in what he's saying uncomplicatedly and doesn't really maybe fully understand the implications, but, like, you know that he's all for this experimentation and everything. Whereas Norrell, I think, has kind of ulterior motives that are underlying the side that he's taken up. Yeah. Well, yeah, and so with the whole respectability thing, I think you're right. Like, it's... Yes, he wants to make English magic reputable, right? Like, or respectable. But he wants to do that by attaching it to his own name as well. Mm -hmm. So that he's also respectable, like, right. alongside English magic. And, I mean, obviously we see that by even calling it, like, Norolite magic, right? Like, yeah. and there's this other... But even even in the beginning, he's, he's worried about... Um, the sort of, you know, scandalous uh, stories that'll be told about Arabella trying to kill him and, you know, shooting Children Mass instead. Um, you know, very worried about his reputation and how this will affect it. And um, Lascelles, I think, either Lascelles or Drawlight, uh, who proposes blaming it on a French spy, right? Mm -hmm. Um which I guess is more respectable than, you know, almost being shot by a mad lady. Um, yeah. A mad lady that you saved with magic. Like, how's right. that going to look? So, yes, right. French spy is, is much simpler. Yeah. Well, and already, like, the fact that she's mad doesn't bode well for his magic. And 
Like right. he can he can saying, "Oh well, you know, madness can't be cured by magic. I can bring her back from the dead, but I can't, you know, make her sane." Um, so he's kind of deflected that. But like, if the if the magic is so bad that it causes her not only to be mad, but mad enough to want to kill him, like that. At that point, it's almost too hard to ignore that. Like, mm-hmm. there's something specifically about his magic that may be causing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you get draw lights reassurance. You know, no breath of scandal will be attached to you. Um, right. Yes. Which, as you're kind of saying, is maybe the greater motivation beyond the respectability of magic. Maybe the the real thing is the respectability of Norrell um you know or that they're one and the same he's kind of decided that his reputation lives and dies by the reputation of the magic that he does yeah um and they they're inseparable for sure um yeah which is so even in sort of his um position as you know a tutor to strange there's that idea too of like oh you know as the sort of benevolent magnanimous you know teacher of magic to this you know promising young student he's he's sort of reputable or you know or uh, uh, respectable in in that way because you know that's what that's what good you know masters of their craft do is they take promising young you know skilled people under their wing and sort of show them the ropes um Mm -hmm. but he doesn't like when it becomes like difficult or when like strange wants to do things that are maybe outside the realm of respectability then then it becomes problematic and that's where they sort of are at cross purposes um Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think, I mean, there is definitely a lot there with Noro wanting to preserve, like, people not knowing precisely how he rose or raised, um, uh, you know, Lady Pole from the dead. Um, Mm -hmm. But, like, he he goes so far in, you know, sort of prohibiting Strange from doing any sort of magic similar to that, that it's almost yeah. drawing more attention to it right like why are you so adamant about right not you know doing this stuff and and that's where strange comes in um with like some of the passages even we talked about earlier of like wanting to know like you know why is it that we can't you know tr- look more into the stuff that we only half understand like isn't that what studying is supposed to do like right um right and so maybe in being that restrictive he's provoked strange into being right a bit more rebellious than he would have kind of been inclined you know i mean i'm sure he would have found his way to some of this stuff regardless but you know he's sort of in being stifled by his tutor strange is sort of ready to kind of ruffle some feathers and yeah and yeah. you get and you get Noro, you know, like correcting, you know, lords who claim that like Strange did, you know, unrespectable magic, you know, during the war. 
Um, but then later it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying you should feel guilty about having done this magic. You know, in wartime, we all do things that maybe aren't acceptable during peacetime. But, you know, don't feel bad about it. Don't feel guilty <laughs> about doing those um, unrespectable yeah. magics. Um, clearly indicating that, you know, he believes Strange should feel guilty about right. Right. those things. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so no, I think that I, I think in Strange's mind, certainly, and, and even so, or uh, not Strange, in, in Norrell's mind, man, why do I keep like messing up their names? Um, in Norrell's mind, um, there definitely seems to be a link between respectability of English magic and the respectability of Gilbert Norrell. Um, mm -hmm. And I think Strange sees that when, um, you know, when when he asked, uh, when he asked me, he says, you know, why did you undertake the restoration of English magic if not to do English magic? And Norrell says, to make it respectable. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. like it's it's his answer to everything. It's like he he just wants it to be respectable, and. And that's kind of when Strange takes his leave. And I mean, we see him again later and there's sort of that like quiet tea they have together that, you know, right. when, it's like Norrell's last ditch attempt to like, you know, retain Strange as a student. Um, yeah. But but Strange kind of, at, you know, at that point sees through him and is like, okay, you're not maybe as interested actually in the respectability of English magic so much as yourself. Um, yeah. And basically leaves with a copy of LaSalle's new book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, we're talking a lot of smack about Norrell and I think he deserves it, but like what's <laughs> kind of poignant about that scene to me is that where you expect him to be angry and stern and frustrated and lecturing and all these things and where like Lascelles is telling him to be all those things he's just kind of sad you know like it seems like genuinely just like he doesn't realize even the depth of his own sort of self-delusions I think like I think he's maybe convinced by his own arguments that everything he's done is for magic um and when even reinstituting a medieval court that has never officially been repealed, like right, just so he can hang draw light. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and and kind of be the judge, jury, and executioner of what constitutes, you know, legal proper magic and everything. Um, and I love Walter Pohl's thing about like. If people disagree with you, you must publish. You must like argue, like do the things that normal scholars do when people disagree with you. You can't hang people that write a bad review of your book or, you know, commit fraud or whatever it is. Um, but anyway, so like, as much as he's like bought into his own lies, um, I think it is kind of there's something kind of sweet about the fact that like, he's not even so much angry at Jonathan's betrayal, just more sad that they don't see eye to eye. And that this is kind of the way 
it has to end um, is with this sort of fundamental disagreement and them sort of out to destroy each other. And like genuinely, I think trying to convince Jonathan, like if you leave, we're never going to have this kind of intellectual companionship again. Neither of us, like, he's like, you're not going to get it from your wife. And God knows I'm not getting it from draw light in the cells. Like nobody else is going to, or even children. I mean, he probably could get it from children mass if he would give him a bit more credit, but like, that's a class thing, right? Like, I think he's, I don't think he considers that that's an option. Um, I'm sure you're right that he doesn't consider it's an option. It might be a class thing, but I also get, I, maybe, maybe this is um, unfair on my part, but I, there's also a question of skill with children mass. Cause I get sure. the sense that he and Segundus are more on a level with each other skill wise sure. and knowledge wise than, I mean, Childermass has had more access and so has learned like one or two spells and tricks maybe. And Segundus could maybe learn, you know, could learn some things if he had, right. you know, better access to books or knowledge, you know, on the side. Right, but right. Even, and I wonder how much of that is education, like well, not he, just access to the books, but like Norrell actually like taking the time to kind of tutor them or. And yeah. I was going to say even, at, I mean, you know, part of the, opening conversation between Norrell and Children Mass is Norrell sort of interrogating him like, you know, why were you doing this and how did you learn it? Well, could right. you taught me because you're paranoid that there's magicians everywhere and so you showed me how to look for magicians. But right. but you don't I didn't get want the you sense to use it. <laughs> yeah. You, well yes, one you get the sense that you you didn't actually ever want him to actually do magic. But also that like like, is that the only thing then that Childermass knows because Norrell explicitly taught him? Or has he possibly learned some old things? Like, we saw him with Vinculus in the cards, but it wasn't clear that, um, like, I think we saw Vinculus doing some magic because of, you know, the same card with the Raven King on mm-hmm. it, uh, or the Raven on it. But I don't know that Childermass ever does any magic. He just flips cards and reads them. So mm-hmm. it's not clear that he's actually doing magic at that point. So it, I'm still not clear on how much magic he can actually do other than this one thing that Norald explicitly taught him. So, right. you know, it might be possible for Segundus to learn like one or two things if someone were to teach him them. But he's not out there like Norrell and Strange are sort of discovering magic on his own and, um, you know just doing things that are impossible for everyone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing. So yeah, like um, I'm glad you picked up on, or, you know, mentioned the uh, sort of sadness in, you know, like, you know, who else are you going to talk to about this stuff kind of, you know, scene there, which I, I think is interesting to point out then like that's 180 degrees from where he was at the beginning. Right. Of, of not like, like it's not only that he was denying that other magicians existed, but he actively set out to disprove that other magicians could actually do magic and that they were only theoretical magicians. And 
oh, by the way, I'm going to make it so you can't even call yourself magicians legally anymore, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you're so inept or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, except Segundus never signed that uh, pledge. So presumably he still could if he wanted to. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, just how how different he has come. And I think so I think it's a reflection, um, which isn't necessarily a pun on the mirror thing, but uh, of his sort of awe in um, Strange's, you know, initial trick that he does to show Norrell and sort of the explanation of, you know, it's like that tune in the back of your head kind of thing mm -hmm. where Norrell's like, like, yes, I know exactly what you mean. Like, you know, not to go all Anne of Green Gables, but these are kindred spirits, right? Like they're, right. you know, bosom friends. But yeah. yeah, they're they they could very easily be bosom friends if they weren't dead set on becoming mortal enemies. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I you know I'm not the best at anything in the world. Like you know, there are people out there who are at that level of their field. Um, but that's that sort of thing. Like you can imagine, it's lonely at the top, and so if you do find mm -hmm. someone who can understand what you're talking about and, and and appreciate it in the same way that you do, I could understand why that might be sad. If mm -hmm. there's a sort of inevitable schism being driven between you, and and neither of you knows how to stop it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, cool. All right. So yeah, we've gone a bit over, uh, we haven't really talked about like draw light and stuff. Okay. So Lascelles writes his book, uh, strange writes a terrible review of it and everyone gets mad. Um, well, yeah. Lascelles gets really mad. Nobody madder than Lascelles. Um, yeah. Norrell, it's a little mad about it. Right, um, Norrell's just sort of grieved by it, but Lascelles is like incandescent, you know, he's <laughs> right. like hopping mad, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, almost literally. Um, like almost literally, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a, we see a lot more of the uglier, not uglier, ugliest sides of Lascelles because he hasn't exactly had like a nice side. But like no, right. between his reaction to the book and his sort of literal threat of Drawlight's life in this episode, I think we get a much clearer idea of what kind of a person he is in this episode. Yeah. Especially when like just last episode or the episode excuse me, before, um Lascelles and Drawlight are like lounging on a couch together, like plotting their little plots and right. whatever. And like, we've gone from that to like now Lascelles is, yeah, like threatening to kill him and you know, whatever. Um, right. So any notion that they're like, yeah, kind of amoral, but like they're friends goes out the window. You see like, there's no friendship there. Right. You know, there's a partnership of kind of scheming and convenience, but Lascelles sells draw light down the river the first chance he gets and would kill him over his reputation. Right. 
like the mere the mere idea that they could be associated after Drawlight did what he did is, you know, the worst possible thing. Um, and so speaking of Drawlight, uh, we learn. So I mean, there's sort of like the early hints of um, Arabella sort of being. Uh, wondering who this Miss Gray is that supposedly is being uh, quote-unquote tutored by her husband, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when we've we've had hints that maybe, you know, Strange has been a bit of a playboy in the past. Um, Like the comment about, you know, oh, you certainly would have noticed a new maid, uh, you know, before you became a magician. Um, And those kind of things that, you know... it seems to me anyway that she seems concerned that maybe he is, you know, seeing some young woman on the side and that maybe um, there's a fear, like, because there's the conversation about, um, you know, boringness, right? Like, oh, she brings up uh, the gentleman that she met at uh, the Poles house who said that you know, when when he returned from war, Strange would find home life very boring. And so mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's playing on her emotions and thoughts a little bit. Um, and then she hears about this Miss Gray, who is presumably being tutored by her husband for somewhat large sums of money, it sounds like. Um, I don't actually have a sense of how much a guinea is, so I don't know. But um, it seems like there... By Strange's reaction of I might forget a girl, but I would never forget, you know, uh what's the amount again? Um like fourteen guineas or something. Yeah, whatever whatever the amount like I wouldn't I wouldn't forget that amount of money. <laughs> like um, you know, it seems to be a significant uh amount anyway. Um four hundred. I got it completely wrong. Oh, there you go. Well guineas. there was a four. You said four. Yes. I think I, I thought it was fourteen. It's four hundred. Um, Right. So like there's this sense of, you know, oh, you know, who is this young woman? But then, you know, you get other references throughout. So you get these men at the Bedford who are, uh, we kind of talked about before, come in while they're playing billiards. And, you know, one of them claims to be a correspondence student of of, uh, Strange's. um, And that sets him off into uh, the King's Road where um, as you said, he seems to be targeting draw light and finds him at a third victim's house. Um, or I, I guess I'm not clear whose house it is. Maybe it's draw light's house and she's visiting him. Um, although draw light's the one who runs away. So it's not. Yeah. And he kind of tells the cells that he's living in some like crappy pub in town. So I'm taking this to be her drawing room that he's visiting in right um because um, like he's like living he doesn't own anything i don't like he doesn't own any property he's like right hand to mouth basically well and off the kindness of others um right right or at least the yeah if not kindness at least the you know uh, uh the proceeds of this yeah. whole magical yeah education thing he has going on here yeah um so yeah so like she's she's another one who you know he seems to be 
deceiving in some ways. And um, she has her list of punishments prepared for Strange, who just kind of looks at them and then says, yeah, I'm not doing any of that. Um, so yeah, so once they find out that he's behind all of this, of course, um, Arabella's appeased on that front, but uh, she does have some pretty legitimate concerns about all of this. And I think we don't get an explicit uh, reference from her about Lady Paul. I mean, other than like, oh, let's not pretend we don't both know who actually shot, you know, Children Mass. But like, there's no uh, explicit reference to Lady Pole, but I have to wonder if she's not thinking about, um, you know, sort of the warnings of, you know, don't let strange, you know, don't let your husband like be tutored by this man and, and that there's yeah. no good. And so when she learns like about this King's roads and uh, stuff behind the mirrors and that it's not exactly safe to be uh, doing that, um, you know, going into the mirrors and into this other world and, and, you know, strange sort of being the braggart of like, well, I like to think that I'm not very safe either. Like, mm -hmm. um, she does, that doesn't seem to appease her much. Um, yeah, just, just being generally concerned for his welfare and her own and, um, you know, wondering if maybe, you know, he shouldn't cool it off a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. They do. Yeah. And, and oh, remembering sorry. and remembering the, I think like in addition to remembering the, the warnings from the gentleman, she's also, she mentions the first glimpse they got of Norrell too, of, um, of, you know, show me what my enemy is doing, you know, right. like she references that again. So I think she's, like, she's been, like, as she says here, she's been a pretty supportive partner through this whole thing. But she's definitely, in hindsight, remembering some of these red flags that they've kind of been ignoring and sort of saying, like, well, they might be starting to bear fruit a little bit. Like, things are getting a bit dangerous. And maybe we should kind of slow down a little bit, be a little bit more careful. Yeah. Um, and there's a whole, like, you know, oh, well, you told me to get a job, right? So I got a job. Right. And she's like, yeah, well, I thought you were going to be, like you know, a, gardener. A, a justice <laughs> of the peace or landscape gardener or something. Not, you know, I, I did not consider you might become one of the greatest men of the age. Uh, it has surprised me somewhat, too. <laughs> like, yeah, right. sure. This isn't what anybody had you in didn't mind. necessarily yeah. set out to do this like we get that and i mean you know they make up and are nice to each other again and and i think understand each other better and and jonathan's willing to give it all up for her right and go move to the country and become uh, a theoretical magician um, write books and yeah, yeah uh and then there's the, there's the sort of whedon-esque twist of Oh, but Napoleon is back and you have to do magic for country, for king and country. Right. As soon um, as he's decided he's had enough of battles, meaning right. battles with other magicians, you know, like sure. meaning all battles, but specifically kind of referring to his 
battles with Norrell, that's when, you know, the literal battles come intruding back right. into the room and say, this is the king's command. You don't have a choice. Right. Um, and like, not only, not only does he not, so not only is he not going to become a theoretical magician, but he's going to become the like most practical of practical magic. Like, cause there's like Norrell who just kind of does his little, you know, spells and stuff here and there, but isn't like, like this is like battlefield magic. Right. So it's like, you know, it doesn't get any sort of more extemporaneous and, you know, kludgy than, mm -hmm. you know, when you're in the middle of the woods and have to like, blow on a book that just got blown up and create a fog so that you can escape right like this right. is like thinking on your feet you know doing whatever it takes to get the job done yeah you know it's the equivalent of you know i don't know duct taping the exhaust so it doesn't fall off you know on your car and driving away like until you can get someplace safe I, right, right. That's there's a terrible nothing... example, but like you know what I mean. Like it's that right. thing of like there's you're nothing just... scholarly about it. It's no, just purely what do you need to survive in the moment? Um, yeah, yeah. Which for all Norrell's notions of practicality, he because he's got one foot in the practical world, but one foot still in the library. Like sure, you know, he's still half of him you know, a magical scholar, you know, he's more comfortable reading and writing than he is out there doing, you know, magic for the world. So yeah, that's kind of more Strange's forte. Although there definitely is that thing of when he does sort of put the book down seems to be when he does his best magic, right? Like just sure. even, even thinking about what the, like the magic, the magic, things that he does in this episode like it's when he gets frustrated at the bedford and just goes over and touches the mirror and like yeah this seems to know what to do or you know he presumably is trying for hours with the king you know to get something to happen and it's when he like is like frustrated and shuts all the books and then picks up the candelabra and like mm -hmm. thinks like oh well what if i try this and like that's when actual magic occurs mm -hmm. and or and then the king disappears and he's like okay what am i doing okay well here's a slipper and that's gonna be this and like here's the piano and or harpsichord or whatever and that's gonna be this and i'm gonna throw this over there and that'll work and it does like and it does and, like yeah. so it like those are the types of things where he seems to sort of excel because it's just kind of like I guess, you know, more on instinct and stuff. He's not, like, trying to follow a recipe there. It's more intention and focus and, you know, mm -hmm. working with what he has available to him. So it seems, seems like it would be hard for him to go just be a theoretical magician, given... Mm -hmm you know, those situations where we've seen him sort of do his best. Man. I mean, and even going back, so I mentioned the fog thing in the woods, the horse sand, uh, shoal, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's the idea that like, he's just like trying to think about different things. And then he just gets so frustrated. He just sticks his hand in the sand and makes horses out of the sand. 
like like the most literal you know yeah. thing that he can sort of think of to do is like what works and so it you know i think we've seen that all along with him that mm -hmm. that he's not meant for theoretical you know yeah sitting in the ivory tower kind of magic um that norrell is sort of doing or trying to do it like mm -hmm. being out in the field and just sort of doing this sort of old and maybe a little wild and sloppy magic is kind of his forte right like it or not that is what he's sort of built for yeah all right well any final thoughts there with uh especially with like strange and arabella i think we covered most everything but didn't want to leave no, i mean i think it kind of i think that's good it, it sort of leaves on kind of parallel cliffhangers of you know just as you know that strange has had enough of battles the the war comes back and then i think it's also kind of a weedony twist to say just as he's sending arabella off like on her own go make our home ready for my return that's when we get the moss oak so it's like right you know bad things are converging on all sides like this is the worst possible time for this to be happening she's going to be off on her own without him you know like the the easier to fool him presumably when he gets back into sure. whatever sort of trap the gentleman has laid for them so um we get kind of dual strange and arabella cliffhangers there yeah yeah all right well cool. on to angel on to angel um did you say this was the 100th episode? I did. And, I can't believe and it. that's a true statement, even. Um, yeah. Yeah, just because you said it doesn't right. mean that I it's true. I could have been true. lying. Yeah. Um, no, it, it is the 100th episode. Um, so, yeah, so I did. I, I know I don't always have production notes, but I did because of that. Um, mm -hmm. So, first of all, written and directed by David Fury. Um, mm -hmm. This episode often appears on many sort of top lists um de you know den of geek nerdist dw screen rant all have it on their various I, you know sometimes it's 10 i one of them's like nine top five top 25 whatever like somewhere on one of those lists it tends to appear um not universally like it's not like hush or the body where it's on like every list but it's sure it's frequent enough that it i think we can reasonably say that like is generally well received um as an episode um i guess just on that note what like yay or nay did you like it did you think it was done well did you have any um, thoughts there or? i liked it i don't know that i love this episode like i think it i think it's definitely interesting i mean i think I mean, the ending is definitely, like, I think where most of the meat will come in. Like, the kind of final reveal of what's been going on the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of talking about that in retrospect kind of makes, like, is sort of, like, where a lot of the, I don't know, 
like the food for thought comes in because when it comes to the sort of the plot, I think it's somewhat serviceable. Like, sure. It's, it's fine. Like there, there's, uh, I, I have to admit if this is the last we see of Lindsay, that's sort of, mm-hmm. and I'm not like the world's biggest Lindsay fan, to be honest. Like, I don't know that he ever really fully worked for me as like the villain and everything. He always kind of was a doofus and he's still kind of a doofus. Like he's still right. the kind of ineffectual tiny Texan that gets beat up. Right. But then that I feel like this has been a really interesting first part of the season. Yeah. And I feel like we've been building up to like what is going on in the background with the senior partners and all this stuff. And if it's just kind of like, Oh, it's Lindsay and Oh, he got sucked into a portal. I am a little disappointed by that. I have to admit, like just, I don't know that that fully um, satisfies the what I was sort of hoping for in terms of a resolution of the storyline with the prophecy and the senior partners and the powers that be and all that kind of thing. I'm still kind of hoping that there's some more, like, I hope we haven't completely dropped that whole storyline basically. Yeah. So I don't know whether that when no, that denies anything that anybody else has said, but no, because when people talk about it, they exclusively talk about Cordy sure. and completely ignore the maybe weak plot of the episode itself. Mm-hmm. So almost all of the attention when this episode comes up is about Cordy's return and then, you know, her send off. And, and I think where the good reception comes in is with that, that, okay, we finally get some closure to her character mm-hmm. And and that it's and that that part of it's done well. That people feel like she. I mean, not that like we want to see her go necessarily, and it would have been great if we could have had charisma the entire final season. But you know, at least like now, it's like we we get some closure, and it does justice sort of to her character, and also mm-hmm. kind of even brings in Doyle's character, you know, a bit, yeah. and like does a little more. Um, so Joss said about this episode that sort of been thinking it through and, and in the planning and writing of it that, you know, they also wanted to sort of reinforce the mission of the show. And I think, you know, like you said, like we've talked about sort of the first half of the season and it's a lot of kind of repetitive at times, even of, of just like, okay, we're in this big new corporate world and we don't really know what we're doing and let's try to figure it out. And we see that from different angles, <laughs> sometimes mm-hmm. multiple different angles. And, you know, it's maybe at this point. So now we're you know, it's episode 12. We're on the downslope of the you know final half of the season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, things to go on there. Say, OK, like we should really be starting to focus maybe on like getting the team back into like what is this all about you know recalling you know cordy and doyle and what is the original mission and bringing in even you know the visions and the powers that be not in the sort of fake way that Lindsay is you know playing with it um you know with spike but you know actually bring back like cordy who has a vision and you know showing us you know reminding us that doyle kind of gave her that and so now you know, she says that she understands, like, 
why he, you know, passed that on with his last kiss. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's kind of doing something similar here, it seems like. But um, it's obviously not exactly the same. But but at least reinforcing and remembering, you know, helping Angel remember what the actual mission is and all of that. So almost nobody <laughs> talks about, oh, yeah, and, like, Lindsay is kind of, he like, he's going to release some big bad demon thing but then he doesn't and he gets sucked into a portal like that's never the focus of like why people think this is a good right it's not like it's not the greatest (laughs) as climaxes to the those storylines go right i don't know that it's the most awesome right um but i mean i think that so far in this season, I've enjoyed the kind of Wolfman Hart, like questioning of what are our roles here and can we do, can we serve two masters at the same time and all that kind of thing. And I haven't found it that repetitive so far, but I totally get what you're saying in that if it goes on for too much longer, it certainly could get like that. Like we're probably at the limit of how many times we can start every episode with like, all right, what's the moral gray we're, area? Yeah, this we're week? in a gray area again yeah, this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I did want to say a couple of things. So, though, then just from that, that charisma Carpenter has said at like fan conventions and stuff about her return. Because obviously, we talked about kind of at the end of season four and the unfortunate way that that all sort of played out and. Um, sort of some of the bad feelings there. I won't read the entire thing, but um, for example, at Dragon Con in 2009, she talked about um, when uh, Jeffrey Bell kind of came and talked to her in her trailer. She was on the show Mismatched um, at the time, um, which I don't, I don't know how long that show ran or anything. I sort of vaguely remember it being a show but i don't have any i never watched it or anything um but basically just saying like she was really hesitant and obviously there had been some bad feelings and all of that um and she basically said well if i come back i don't want you know my character to die i don't want cordy to die and they're like you know okay 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 and then she comes back and they're like well so she's she's gonna die (laughs) And then she's like, no. And then she's like, well, I read the script and she's like, oh man, this is really good. And and like she actually, she felt good about how they were treating the character and kind of, you know, closing the loop and, and all of that. Um, so, I mean, you know, she's saying this in 2009, you know, several, sure. so like five years after, you know, the episode aired. I mean, I don't, see any reason to disbelieve why you know at that point because she was like on that same panel she's very open about you know how she felt you know in 2003 when she was you know suddenly not coming back so i don't i think that all is believable and and fine and we can um sort of take that as it is but uh yeah just just kind of feeling like you know, at least some closure for her too, as sort of an actress and who was on the show and, and feeling like her character is being treated right. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's generally 
the sentiment and that's why it shows up is because it's not even it, you know for the it's not for the plot of the episode so much as you know Cordy's just such a beloved character and such a, a big part of the show from its inception and part of the Buffy verse since its inception that um a lot of people just like it for those reasons um rather yeah. than maybe the other piece um the one other note i wanted to bring up is that so apparently so this is um airing in february 2004 um glenn quinn uh had passed away uh i believe it was december 2002 so it's it's a little over a, like a year and a couple of months after um and apparently christian kane had been really good friends with him and so mm -hmm. there was some awkwardness on his part um, not just this episode but obviously he's been referring to himself as Doyle mm -hmm. a couple of episodes and just sort of seeing you know yeah just feeling kind of awkward using that as you know because he kind of felt that maybe it was a betrayal to kind of be portraying his friend you know sur through a sort of surrogate character or whatever um, but he did say that he kind of liked the way that it played out too, as far as, um, and, and apparently David Boreanaz was also a close friend with Glenn Quinn. Yeah. I mean, they've worked together obviously in the first season and stuff. And, and mm -hmm. so he had known him and, and worked with him, um, and just sort of, you know, liking, like saying, yes, like this is a bad guy, obviously like using the name in a bad way and so you know that's gonna piss angel off and so it just kind of worked out from mm -hmm. a story perspective that way but just kind of acknowledging that there is some awkwardness there with the recollection of his friend who had died and and obviously the character doyle who you know is dead in the show and all of that but right um anyway yeah and i remember oh, saying sorry. that i think last episode or whenever the first one was that that Lindsay showed up using the name, that the kind of feeling of disrespect, you know, of like, yeah. which I think obviously is very intentional. I don't think that's being disrespectful to the uh, actor. Uh, the intention the is character, to, the character yeah. disrespecting. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I think that's, it's supposed to feel inappropriate and wrong and, right. you know, like a violation and everything. And, um, and that's how Angel and, Cordy react in this episode too like you know I don't know if I wrote down the exact quote when they realized but like yeah that's sort of what really pisses Angel off is this realization of if you're going to use that name we're going to have a problem you know right um so yeah and so like in kind of giving closure to both the Doyle and the Cordy sort of storylines it does kind of wrap up it closes some of those loops from season one because mm -hmm. um, neither of them really left the way they should have frankly like they both kind of left yeah. in the middle of their storylines with unfinished arcs and so I guess if you're gonna kind of give them a send-off it feels a little bit fitting that it's in sort of the same episode because they were both, that was the team from the beginning. It was the three yeah. of them in season one. Right. So like finally for one last time, you get the three of them almost in an episode together and kind of acknowledging that that's the end of 
that original angel investigations team. Mm -hmm. um, and there's like a meta element too of kind of, we owe it to the characters and the actors to acknowledge their contribution. Like we can't necessarily undo or completely fix the things that went wrong with how things went down, but it's sort of necessary for the story to wrap that up mm -hmm. and give them some acknowledgement. Yeah. And I did um, link, by the way, there's YouTube videos of Charisma okay. at a couple different conferences talking about that stuff. So I, I linked to those in the, in okay. our notes. Yeah. We can we link can in the show notes. Add them. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's some, it allows for some foreshadowing too. you know, when Cordy's watching the video of Doyle and saying, you know, first soldier down and stuff. It, like if you're really kind of paying attention, you might start to think like, Hmm, where's that going? You know? Yep. Um, like he's the first soldier down, but not the last, right? Like he's the first in, you know, what could be a long line of, people who fighting alongside angel um sure right and we haven't lost anyone i mean other than cordy herself like right. there hasn't been anyone else who's like come and gone right right not not at the level of the main characters anyway yeah i mean i guess it depends on how much you count connor uh, but that's a different situation too literally wasn't even thinking of yeah connor when i said that sure um well yeah um he's that's been erased from our memories um yeah and i think he's not necessarily included in one of the people who sort of sacrificed for like not to say that he didn't make any sacrifices or hasn't suffered but like he didn't die for the cause he was given an escape right. um which is sort of what we deal with in this episode is um you know, the whole question of why on God's good earth would Angel make this deal with a devil? And the real answer is Connor. Um, you know, like, why are we... So let's get into the story because he starts the episode by quitting. Um, and yeah. it's sort of like you, you... When you forget about Connor, you do kind of have to ask the questions Cordy asks about this isn't the kind of thing an angel would do. And he's complaining about it every step of the way. So the, you know, the question becomes why on earth hasn't he quit before now? What's he been putting up with it for? And I think Connor is the answer to that. Um, although it does raise the question of if he'd been, if he'd really been allowed to quit, what would happen? You know? So we'll, Let's talk about the conversation with Gunn and Fred and Wes, because that's Gunn's theory is like, do you think they're just going to let you walk out of here with right. no repercussions? Like, you know, would Connor's spell be undone? Yeah, I mean, you know? I don't think or we, I don't think we know. We don't know. Um, and, I, and I don't know if I don't know if that's just we don't know as as viewers, but I don't I don't know if they know either. Like I don't know if Angel and Team knows. Yeah, I, it doesn't seem like they do. Like 
that's well, the I mean, argument. Well, that... I guess I guess Angel because the other the other team doesn't know who Connor is, right? So sure. like it's kind of they there's no reason they should know, but yeah, like I don't know if Angel knows for sure if he quits will like everything go back to like everyone suddenly remembering about Connor and right all of that other part of but but I do think it's interesting because they all know about Jasmine mm-hmm. and the stuff that Cordy went through which is kind of bizarre when you think about it like how can they know all the Cordy stuff and the pregnancy and like all of the various things go on without knowing about Connor like I mean we just sort of have to you know suspend disbelief I guess and uh or suspend yeah wait yeah yeah okay (laughs) I had a moment of I had a brain fart there and couldn't wasn't sure I said it right um yeah to to you know just say like okay like I guess I guess there's a way that they can remember all the Cordy stuff and not the Connor stuff, but it is kind of weird when you when you start thinking about how many details have to be missing and wouldn't you start yeah. questioning some of those gaps? But I guess I, that's yeah, we don't, part of the spell is that you don't question it. You just right. We don't have the the right the the whole point is that they don't question it, and maybe that is the spell that just doesn't maybe even change the details so much as prevent them from thinking about them in any detail. Um, right. Or at least the bits so, of the, the bits of them that would be confusing. It's a uh, perception filter. Right? Yes. And I think that's what we don't know, understand the mechanics of how the perception filter works. Right. But, um, but yeah, like it, it is, I think it, it probably is, preventing them from thinking it's not so much that reality was altered as much as like angel says they altered reality but i don't even know that that's it i think it seems to me that it's more they're prevented from fully understanding or remembering what happened yeah um because like as you said they can remember everything else yeah um there's no it's not like a different version of what happened to cordy and with Jasmine and everything that all seems to still be the same. Um, so yeah, I, but uh, whether or not Angel knows what would happen to Connor, he, at least in the moment of rage is willing to risk losing the protection that he sort of bought for him. Um, sure. Which is, just is what it is. I don't, we, he doesn't ever say, yeah, I did this despite, you know, knowing that Connor would sort of suffer for it. So maybe that he doesn't know at all, but, um, but it, whether it's that or something else, I think it's clear that Gunn is probably right. There's some, there's going to be some sort of punishment for walking away. Um, either the revoking of privileges or the outright punishment of some kind, you know? Um, Well, and, and you have to wonder, like, is this, is this a, you know, perpetual, you know, life plus life after death, you know, clause kind of thing? Um, Or is it, is it a certain number of years? Is it, you know, we just don't, you know, so there's some like, you know, some companies or whatever, like when you 
sign up, it's like you sign, you know, a contract, and then maybe you have like a, um, you know, what's the word? Like a, a non-compete, you know, agreement mm-hmm. and, you know, like these various sorts of things kind of guaranteeing, you know, either either that you'll put a certain number of years into the company itself or at the very least, you won't go to some competitor and like work for them, you know, at least for a certain amount of time. But it's it's not clear that there's a time limit on any of this. And especially for Angel, who's immortal like that like does that just mean he has to work here forever and you know what about like once connor dies like is is it like then like oh okay well there's no consequences so then he can leave like Mm -hmm. yeah it's just not there's like a lot of potential uh possibilities that just don't we just don't know about yeah, we don't understand or don't have access to the terms of the contract and everything. Right. Um, and, I mean, so in addition to just being kind of the voice of caution, I think, you know, we also have been pointing out the fact that, which Angel does here too, that, like, Gunn definitely feels differently than... He doesn't feel differently, but he feels more confident in that what they're doing is the right thing. I think Wesley and Fred are still kind of a little bit ambivalent. Mm. Um, Gunn seems, at least in his conversation with Angel, you know, he says uh, that he believes in what they're doing and they made the right call. Um, And, you know, I think Angel's getting kind of fed up with that point of view and a bit suspicious of what, you know, uh, like is Gunn just saying that because he got all this stuff out of it? He got this upgraded legal knowledge and nice suits, and you know, is kind of feeling more posh and useful than he sort of used to. And like, I, I think he's even maybe starting to question whether Gunn is telling the truth when he says he believes in what they're doing. Yeah. Um. Like I think Angel has a hard time understanding people who don't feel the same way as him. Um, you know, like if, if I'm as sort of bothered by the moral ambiguities here, then you'd be a fool not to be, um, you know, and maybe Gunn is being disingenuous. I don't think we have reason to see that yet. I think so far he seems like he's being pretty earnest when he talks about, these sorts of things, but I guess we'll have to keep an eye on that. And he kind of points out, like, we all got something out of the deal. It wasn't, certainly wasn't him that was the only one who benefited from this. Um, and it was kind of Angel's decision in the end. So you right. can only blame Gunn for it so far. Um, well, no, you're right. Um I would say it was primarily Angel's decision. But sure, they and all, the maybe they were all supportive of it. Agreed. Yeah. Except that they didn't know about the Connor bit. Right. So, like, I do think there. I think you can put more on Angel than the others, but there, there was agreement among them as a group too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. And then, like, yeah, he didn't have to bully or convince anyone into it, really. But, um, right. But, you know, I think he's scapegoating Gunn a little bit here, considering oh, yeah. that, that, like, I think when Gunn says, we all got something out of this, I don't think he, even he knows to what extent that's true. Like, you know, Angel got a lot more out of it than Gunn and the others realize because they don't know about this deal. They don't really know why he signed the contract in the first place. Right. Um, so I think he's kind of, you know, accidentally hitting the nail on the head there and saying there's a reason that we agreed to do this and it was because of what we got out of it. Um, yeah, and then... Uh, Fred and Wesley, I think, are kind of where they've been, you know, um, willing to work with the system, a little bit, you know, ambiguous about it still, but um, I don't know that I have anything new for them. I don't know if, if you did. I'm sorry, for who? For Fred and Wesley? No. I mean, not particularly. I mean... No, I, 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 I think, yeah, Fred, Fred is still hesitant, but like, she likes her toys, right? And like, even, even in the opening here, we get um, her sort of looking at her device as they're like going right, into the church and like Ghostbusters gadget. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then like, and then also feeling like disappointed that like, they're not properly calibrated for anything outside this dimension. And it's like, Ooh, maybe there's, maybe we could do research on how to do that calibration, right? Like for future field events. So uh, yeah, I think, I think it's easy to pick on gun mm -hmm. because he's sort of the most obvious, like he's, he got the matrix download. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, there's, suspicion and mistrust about what else did they put in there and it feels like almost every week we learn like they put something new in there like because like last week it was like oh he learned how to play golf right like in addition to that and it's I mean before that it's like okay there's the lawyer stuff and oh uh Broadway musicals and like you know various various little things that like we keep finding out are are part of this knowledge because maybe it's not directly related to law but it's related to the lawyer profession you know as golf is or something you know what i mean like there's some right. like beneficial right. aspect for what it's knows. related to the art of schmoozing so or right, something right exactly and so um or like demon languages right is like another like he knows certain you know contract law not like it also like interdimensional contract law, not just like earth contract law. Right. Um, so like every time we like see him, we kind of are learning that there's more bits and pieces to the knowledge that he was given. And so I think, again, it's easy to sort of mistrust him because he's the one sort of most directly uh, tampered with, I guess would be a good mm -hmm. way to put it. Um, but they're all like they all got stuff out of it, like you said, and like 
for Fred. It's a fully functioning lab with minions who can do her bidding and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of everything a physicist would ever want to, you know. I think a mad scientist could ever yeah. hope for. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I did over Wesley and his books and stuff. And I think, I mean, Fred might be the most outwardly hesitant. I mean, other than like Angel, who's like about to quit here. Fred might be the most outwardly sort of skeptical and stuff and like making comments about like, oh, you know, justice, you know, on the golf course rather than in the courthouse. But yeah, I don't like, I don't see her giving up her gadgets anytime soon or anything. So um, yeah. No, I don't, I, I guess I don't really have anything specific to say about them besides just sort of, reminding us that like their protests are maybe a little too poignant at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, alright, so let's talk about Cordy, who returns in this episode. Right. Um and wakes up sort of significantly at the moment that Angel quits. Um, so, sure. you know, there's a kind of noticeable juxtaposition there. Um, and I guess throughout the episode, she kind of talks about, especially towards the end, about sort of what's, you know, her purpose, in, especially in this particular visit. Um, in terms of helping Angel find himself, getting him back on track, kind of, as Joss said, remembering what the mission statement of the story is and, you know, kind of getting back to those basics and everything. Um, And in the end, I'm kind of jumping ahead, obviously, but she says that uh, the powers that be owed her one and she didn't waste her opportunity to help Angel. so here's kind of a question that I don't know if you think we get a straight answer to it. The fact that she does wake up sort of in the moment that he like says, you know, I quit. Um, do you think that she's been sent specifically sort of for the mission of returning him to his path? Um, or is it more like, the way she says it at the end is more like she, they owed her one. So they kind of gave her a day and it was sort of up to her to choose what to do with it in a way. Mm. Um, you know, that's the implication to me of they gave me an opportunity and I didn't waste it. That doesn't sound quite the same as I was sent back here with specific instructions for how to help you reclaim your lost sense of purpose. Um, Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think the result is the same, but I guess the motivation of the powers that be is more what I'm questioning here or how much of their motivation is Cordy aware of. Um, So here's a question. Was she ever a power that was, is, these um and if so like is she still one i'm 
if I was a betting person and I had and had to choose one or the other of those options. Yeah, I, I, I mean, or if there's some amalgamation or variation, like, feel free to, yeah, you know, pause it, whatever. But if it is a, a yes or no thing, I'm going to say no, just because I don't feel like we've really seen any real evidence that she ever was one. Um, and even here, I don't feel like... Not not even Cordy in the clouds that we see and like... I mean, she was definitely in some other place, but... But the whole thing turned out to be, from what we can tell, you know, manipulated by this other power that be, you know, like a dark power that be, but, you know, it seems like, I don't know, like, if Cordy was a power that was, then how did she get sort of, I don't know, reborn as, you know, Jasmine's sort of vessel? Um, I mean, I could see that happening, but I don't think we've been given any reason to think that that's what happened. You know, like, it's weird if, like, she was a power that was, and then also sort of gets channeled and hijacked by this other power. Like, they don't ever really, because they don't specify that, I feel like that's a complicated thing to sort of assume. Like, it seems like the more that Occam's razor here is that the whole thing was that she got manipulated into, you know, being this host for this kind of evil higher power. Um, and that it seems to be what it is on the face of it here that she, you know, is given a chance for one kind of more day and then she dies at the end of it. Um, I would be fine if those weren't the answers. I just don't see any reason, any real reason to think otherwise, other than maybe me wanting it to be because I want her to have more power or control or agency or something. Mm. Um, like I don't see a lot of evidence that she ever had that kind of power to begin with, in the sense of, like, the higher power. Not that she wasn't, like, a powerful, strong female character or anything. You know what I mean? But, like, I don't see any reason to think that she was ever a higher power herself. That's not the way she talks about it. She talks about it in terms of, you know, being granted another day. And being owed a favor by the powers that be. And being given a chance. Like, she she doesn't frame it in terms of her choices to come back and, you know, take one more day to do something really important or whatever. Like, that's not the kind of language that she uses. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you agree? Disagree? Something in, in the middle? Yeah. 
I don't know. <laughs> so I think I think I can convince myself of either mm -hmm. thing, depending on like the day of the week. Cause sure. Cause I think so I, I think I think there are other questions of like are there even powers that be um like or is that just like and if there are like are there factions of them and do they have like jasmine it, like if there's good powers that are um does does jasmine represent one of them or is she does she represent like an enemy of them and like in calling herself a power that is, and others referring to her as one of the powers that be, like, is that actually accurate, or is it just like, like, what does it mean to be a power that be? Uh, <laughs> it's it's a really awkward like phrase to use, other than in like a particular the... way. Um, with the to be verbs here, yeah. Like, what is what does it actually mean to be that? And I get, I no, mean, and that's that's true. It's hard to judge whether Cordy is one if we don't know what they are to begin with, and yeah. what sort of qualifies you to be one. And so the reason I ask that is because I think it depends on like, like, is this Cordy referring to herself in the third person of the powers that be? Like, let me come back. Was it like? I chose to come back and this was sort of like a one shot deal. Um, I mean, cause she seems to have physical form and manifestation, but also sure. like her body doesn't leave the hospital. Right. So like, what is, how does that happen? I, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's like the opposite of spike instead of being incorporeal, she's like double corporeal. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I I don't know. I I guess it's just that question of like if you think that she was a power that is was forevermore will be like you know does that does that mean that like I think going back to your question of like is is it the powers that be that are sending her back or is it her sort of getting a choice to come back on her own and like the powers don't actually care one way or the other what's going on mm -hmm. um hard hard to say or maybe there's a problem with her corporeal not like as a corporeal being maybe she forgets you know her power that being it like maybe like is if this is like an avatar that can't like actually comprehend mystical, you know, planes of existence. And so once she actually does disappear, she goes back up and it's like, Oh, now I remember I am a power that is. Um, right. And that's why know. I'm, that's why I definitely agree that it is left open enough that I think you could convince yourself that, or, or if they wanted to leave it ambiguous or, spin it a different way I think they could um but based on what we know and what she says and how she acts um 
it implies to me that she is not one. Um, or certainly that she doesn't know that she is one here, if she ever was one at all. Um, so that's, you know. Yeah, I don't, like I said, I think I can convince myself one way or the other, depending on the day of the week. So I don't, yeah. I guess that maybe is a better answer than actually answering the question. Um, sure. Just because I, I think it, it gets into a lot of the, you know, uh, divine theory of the Buffy burst that I don't think we get a lot of answers to, at yeah. least in the shows, maybe in the comics and stuff, we get a little bit more, but I'm not even sure that that's the case. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't, all that to say that I, I can see arguments either way and, and I don't, mm -hmm. I guess it would be hard for me to believe that there's no good power there, that there's no some kind of higher power working towards some kind of good outcome. Although they might, it might be mysterious and we might not always understand how they're working, mm -hmm. whatever. But I think, I think if you're going to go on the premise that like every power is sort of Jasmine like, and there's nothing that's at least, somewhat on the side of good then like you're just undercutting the entire like premise of half the show at least yeah and i like, don't think i don't think that's supported by the story like even if cordy's storyline doesn't end it even though it ends sort of tragically i think we still have plenty of indication that there are good forces in the world that there's something sending visions to Doyle and Cordy. Mm -hmm. And there's something that, even if it wasn't the thing that beamed Cordy up into the higher plane, there's something that allowed her this other day to come back. Um, maybe it's her, or maybe it's something else entirely, but it seems that there are higher things that are working for good. Yeah, um, yeah and I don't think... I certainly don't think it's the case that we live in a world where it's all, all the higher powers are sort of Jasmine-esque. Um, like, I think we get enough evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. um, I just question whether or not Cordy, up until this point, is one of them. Now, maybe she hasn't been, but she's about to go off and become one of them, and that would be awesome. But, um, I'm just not totally convinced that that's what's been happening so far. Um, I always liked the idea of higher power Cordy. Um, I think that's a nice contrast to like where we start with her of like the kind of cliche stereotype, not that she was a stereotype, but it played into stereotypes of the kind of mean girl and everything yeah. and to kind of evolve her to a place or reveal her to be capable of, you know, being one of these sort of semi-divine higher powers, I thought was a kind of cool way to end the character. So I, in my own head canon, I kind of like the idea that even if she hasn't been a power yet, she maybe becomes one at this point. Mm -hmm. Like maybe that's 
when she says I'm on a different journey and I'm going on a different path and this isn't me anymore, maybe that's because when she dies, that's the next phase for her is, you know, to be given this sort of divine job to do. Right. Um, so, like, I don't think there's any reason why we can't hope and assume that that's the case. Um, yeah, so, okay. I had kind of bullets here for, like, she reunites with the group and kind of wonders what's happening. I don't know how much we need to really dig into. Like, she's understandably a bit yeah. befuddled by all the changes that have happened in, like, the six months or whatever since she remembers seeing everybody so obviously a lot is different and angel is ceo of hell and you know spike is a hero and you know everything is sort of upside down yeah um i do i do kind of like how far they keep taking that because because there is like like they could have done just sort of the superficial like oh it's wolfram and hart and oh you know it's nice to see everyone but like you know, Gunn has hair and, you know, I don't know, Fred's like, you know, head of a science department. But then it's like, oh, and then there's Harmony. Oh, and then right. there's Spike. And then, there's and then right. like, like they just right. keep you going. Forget. It's, like, not, it's not just Wolfram and Hart. There's like a lot that's changed that you forget is yeah. different now. Yeah. So. Right. So they've got bad guys on their side now, too. And um, I like the literal devil who comes and shakes angel's hand and sort of right. sets up a racket ball date like you know just putting a little period at the end of the sentence that when you say you've made a deal with the devil like there are actual devils walking around um you know and angel's doing his best to convince her that he's cool with everything like you know hey i've got it all under control like mm -hmm. don't worry about it um not mentioning the fact that he is like trying to quit on a regular basis. Um, sure. So, okay. I mean, we already talked about Doyle's video as well. Um, I definitely wanted to mention the conversations she has with Angel and Wesley. Um, mm -hmm. Just in that it's this kind of, again, that closure. Like, let's acknowledge some of the history of the characters and um you know allow her the opportunity to kind of clear the air a bit um you know in terms of you know her and angel wondering could they have had something um and he says you know maybe people like us aren't meant to well, there are no people like us right um and and then sort of apologizing to wesley for Lila, even though, you know, obviously it wasn't really her, but, um, you know, it's just those nice moments of closure, you know, the things that you yeah. might think about if you never saw the character again. Um, Lindsay and Eve, there's plot, stuff happens. Lindsay's tattoos protect him magically from 
surveillance of all sorts, uh, both divine and technological. Um, right. And yeah, he sneaks into the basement and is about to release some. And I feel like this is a lingering plot thread. Like, okay, there there still exists a hell beast in the basement that apparently is specifically designed to kill Angel. So that's a thing um, that right. exists well, and is still down there, I suppose. And I feel like, so, I mean, we've seen some of the different basement levels of Wolfram and Hart. So, like, we know there's lots of, like, nasty stuff right. down there, right? Um, like the, you know, whatever, you know, crazy doctor spirit thing that was haunting that, you know, yeah. Spike bought right. and whatnot. Um, right, there's many levels of sub-basement. And, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, like... We don't actually know how deep Wolfram and Hart goes or into how many dimensions mm -hmm. it goes. So, like, there's potentially lots of stuff. And not that surprising that there would be maybe a failsafe in case, you know, the senior partners wanted to get rid of Angel for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 Yeah, that seems not not completely unexpected. Um, but you're, I mean, you're right. Like, the question is, is it like better to figure out how to get rid of this thing or to keep it locked up? <laughs> right. You know, and just hope that no one else figures out how to like release it. Use it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because um, the, the, the other question is like, it might be specifically designed to kill Angel, but is it going to kill everyone else at the same time? Like, it, it might not just be Angel that it kills. Yeah. Yeah, we still don't know anything about it, really. Right. Um, and how did Lindsay yeah. find it? I guess through Eve, probably, right? Because she's the liaison to the senior partners. I guess through Eve, who we have another confrontation with in this episode, and they still yeah. let her go. <laughs> so, yes. Right. So also, actually, um, in the scene where Harmony is interrogating her, yeah. uh, apparently uh, Mercedes McNabb uh, actually hit the actress playing Eve like in that. Like, that was real hitting. <laughs> um, not, like, like accidental. Like, mm -hmm. you know, a, she presumably felt bad about it. But um, that's, so that's, like, not always true, like, yeah. in these types of stories. But... Harmony doesn't feel bad. Actual about it. no, Harmony doesn't, but Mercedes did. Harmony's um, happy to take one for the team and yeah. do the torturing. Um, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, <sighs> yeah, there's things that are frustrating about the Lindsay and Eve side of things. Like they seem like these masterminds, but then when it comes down to it, all they really have is like, well. We can sneak around. Okay. We can sneak around. And, you know, sick, sick spike on Cordy. But that lasts all of a minute. And then it's like, wow, that was a long shot. So you just blew your spike connection over a, you know, plan that you knew wasn't even going to work. 
um, as soon as they talk yeah. to each other for 30 seconds. I mean, I guess... Yeah. It does, I mean, it it does seems sort like of he get could have resolved back a little. The, the spike card a little bit. Right. More carefully. It's, it's all just over very quickly, I think. Um, like I said, yeah. no one likes this episode for the Lindsay and Eve plot. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> I, and I don't... Yeah, and I don't think we need to really I belabor mean, it too much. I think you kind of said it earlier when you said that, like, Lindsay is always kind of been a doofus and, like, someone who overplays his hand and never quite got what was going on. And so I guess the question is, does that satisfy you for like why he fails so miserably in in this? Or or is that just is it just lazy writing? I I mean I think it's sort of I guess it's fitting if you think, well he he died as he lived, you know, kind of well screwing up. But um He got sucked into a portal as well, he yeah, lived. didn't die, but like he I'm not. I'm not trying to in, indicate one way or another whether or not yeah, we'll yeah. see him again. But we don't. We have to always remember if we yes. didn't see him die. No, you're correct. Then there's a chance. To, then you're saying there's a chance yeah. that he may come back again. Um, yes, for sure. And I didn't mean that. And way. even when we do see them die, there's still a chance yeah. we may see them again. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I didn't mean that, like, like there's no chance we would ever see him again. I guess I just, I won't say it's not a consistent ending, um, but is it satisfying? No, I don't find it particularly satisfying. Um, so that's fine. It kind of is what it is. Um, you know, I... I if that's Eve's exit as well, that's also frustrating. Um, but I guess we probably don't, you probably don't want to tell me that one way or another. So maybe we'll get back to that in the season recap. Um, how we feel about the whole Lindsay Eve storyline or the series recap, I guess. Right. Um, wow. wow. Uh, so, uh, well, then, speaking of which, um, no, I'm sorry. I was going to say uh, this might be the last one written by David Fury, actually. But no, we do. He does write one other, um, although he doesn't direct that one. So this is his, this is his last appearance as a director, um, mm -hmm. although we haven't really been calling out directors much, so. uh, um, except for a few notable cases, like when. David Boreanaz directed. Um, anyway, sorry, move along. Uh, yeah, I don't, I mean, I'm not gonna, like, she just walks, like, she. they just send her down the elevator, right? Like, yeah. I don't think it would be that surprising if we see her. I won't say uh, whether or not we'll see Lindsay again. I mean, he doesn't die. If you want to take that as, uh, we'll probably see him again, then sure. If you want to take that as, okay, but he gets sucked into another dimension, so mm -hmm. chances are slim. All right, that's fine. Um, 
whatever. We are on the back half, though, so I think the question becomes who is the big bad, or what is the big bad in this? If it's Because, yeah. like, clearly, at least for the last several episodes, um, or, I mean, you know, excluding maybe the one-off episodes, like, the ones where we've actually had some longer-term uh, art-type stuff, um, they've been setting it up like, okay, this is going to be the big confrontation. And I mean, there was a confrontation, but it wasn't terribly big and mm-hmm. it's done and over with now. So where do we go from here? Um, if this is a resetting of like the mission and stuff, then what does that mean for them at Wolfram and Hart? Because I like, right. that's the question. It's like, it's easy to kind of reset and restate the mission, but you're still at Wolfram and Hart. So how do you make that work right. within that context? And so, so kind of that question too, is then, okay. So Cordy maybe has done her job in helping protect Angel and keep him, you know, remind him of the mission and stuff. But he's not, like, there's still the Connor problem, so he's not going to, like, quit at this point. Mm-hmm. Which is 180 degrees from where we started the episode. So mm-hmm. what what is that, like, what is the mission in the context of Wolfram and Hart at this point, I guess, is, right. it you know, becomes the question. And, by the way, we didn't really resolve the opening scene of what was the guy's name green something greenway was it oh yeah yeah greenway i think um yeah greenway like we don't really get a resolution there of like the fact that he just killed a bunch of nuns and like mm-hmm. went to another dimension and stuff so yeah you know is that going to pop up again maybe um you know, I'm not saying it definitely will or won't. It's just, you know, there's there's some questions now of like Angel was all set to kill this guy and then Cordy showed up and it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, what are we, you know, are we still like resolved or are we going to let this guy who just killed a bunch of nuns go? And yeah, if so, what does that mean in terms of are they just going to go right back to sort of compromising their values again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whether or not he specifically comes up again, he's a example of that right. kind of there there will be more greenways. And right. I think the question is going to be what are we going to do about them going forward? Yeah. Um with this renewed mission. Um but yeah, still in the same place that they've been. Um kind of feel like we could wrap up there was there anything else about no i think i think that's it i think okay uh i think we're good so yeah so we'll come back next week um i don't even remember what the next episode is really about so i won't say anything on it and uh we'll find out how uh strange how how strange uh fares back on the continent again i guess right, right? yes yeah. Right. Off to Belgium. Yeah. All Sounds right. good. See you then. Mm-hmm.